Welcome back to another episode of the Young Guides Podcast. I'm Keaton and this is... I'm Kyle. But first, a word from our partners. First up, we want to talk about Heather's Choice. If you go to the Heather's Choice website and use our code theyoungguides 15 at checkout, you can get yourself 15% off site-wide. So go check them out. We got packaroons for snacks. We got dinners. We got breakfasts. We got a bunch of new recipes coming out to you guys. So head on over to heatherschoice.com at checkout. Use our code, the young guides 15 and get you guys something for your next outdoor adventure. Awesome. For our next partner, we have lucky bug lures home of the bingo bug, zombie max fusion extreme lucky plug F bomb and pike bomb. They take conventional lures and change them up a little bit and it helps your fishing and your luck on the water go check them out www.luckybuglures.com go get yours today all right up next we have northern knits emily up here in anchorage knits wool hats and uh, distributes them through her social media platforms you can find her on facebook or on instagram her instagram account is northern dot underscore dot knits and uh, you can see some of the hats that she has in stock and order from there or you can kind of get an idea of what you want message her and you can set something up uh, to have a specific uh, pattern or color scheme that you want in your hat keaton and i both have one well uh, i actually have several keep you very warm they're very fashionable they look great they feel great You'll look awesome if you wear one too. Check her out, Northern Knits. Next up, we have a friend, Matt, at Alaska Rod Co. He just released a new lineup of rods for the 2022 season. They have a lineup of eight freshwater spinning rods with actions and power for anglers chasing big, aggressive fish. With lengths ranging from six foot to nine foot, there are plenty of options for various applications and style. In a world full of mass-produced rods, Alaska Rod Co. makes sure that rods and services provide what other brands cannot. Rods built and tested in Alaska. Matt also is coming out with a new line of fly rods. Alaska Rodco fly rods are built for harsh environments while maintaining the utmost level of craftsmanship. Right now, Alaska Rodco is nine foot fly rods ranging from five weights to eight weights. 10 foot single hand rods, switch and spay rods will be available late winter or spring. There's enough rod comings out there trying to build the next lightest and flashy rod. Alaska Rodco is here to build you a rod you can pass down generations. Fishing means many things to many different people. Alaska Rod Co. is honored to build you the ultimate tool that connects you to that meaning. If you want to learn a little bit more about Alaska Rod Company, go back and check our previous podcast. We asked him several questions about his rods, his warranties. Um, it does, he does a great job at explaining everything and covering everything about his company also if you have questions you can always dm him or dm us and we can get you going in the right direction so alaska rodco finally we want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the young guides podcast if you can head on over to apple Podcasts, leave us a review and a rating it helps us know that we're Uh, doing this for the right reasons and you guys are giving us some great feedback already you can also head over to spotify they now have a rating feature 
on the podcast there. So if you could let us know how we're doing, that would be great. It also helps you, or excuse me, helps us spread the word through you. Um, but makes us pop up on the feeds um, wherever you listen to podcasts a lot more. If you give us a great rating and a great review, you can also head to our website and contact us through that form. If there's anything that you think we should know about, if you want to be on our show or if there is something that uh, we need to work on, you can also find us on Instagram and same thing. Give us some feedback, drop us a message and we will get back to you. With Instagram, make sure to also check our story. We uh, Before we do our podcast on Thursdays, we always have an option for you guys to ask questions to the people coming on our podcast. Um, and we get we post a lot of stuff that we like to get uh, viewers and people following us involved. So if you want to head on over, give us a follow and uh, start asking questions and join in on the fun on our Instagram page. Without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Young Guides Podcast. I'm Keaton and this is... I'm Kyle. And today we have a uh, very special guest, Keith Robbins on today. Um, He's a well-known fly fishing for uh, sea run cutthroats and salmon in the Puget Sound. Um, Also does some mooching for him too. And we're going to learn a little bit more about it today um, as we get going. So... How are you doing today, Keith? I'm doing outstanding. Good, good. Today's one of the good ones. That's a good, uh, you need some good ones here and there. <laughs> Heck yeah, well, welcome on, Keith. We appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, just want to get to know you a little bit, know about your guiding and, and some of the conservation work you do. So um, to start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and about your background in, in fishing? All right. I'm born and raised in the Seattle area. Been fishing Puget Sound my entire life. Uh, Actually been fishing Puget Sound since before I was actually fishing Puget Sound. My brother was six years older than I am. So I got to go out on the boat with my dad and my brother. And and, uh, a lot of times I mostly just watched and was just kind of a pain. And uh, I think that's why I've got an addiction to fishing because I had to watch my brother fish for all those years before I was old enough to hold my own rod. So uh, I blame my father for my addiction. Um, Started guiding in Puget Sound in 1992. Um, I always, my father had taken us out with guides up in British Columbia before. And I always was enamored with guides. I thought it was a really cool, really cool uh, occupation. And uh, I started out doing salmon guiding and it was getting a salmon charter license and a captain's license. All that was expensive. And, you know, once I was uh, able to afford it and it was very much a seasonal job uh, to begin with. And so I, you know, had to figure out how to work the land job and work the water job at the same time. And this will be year 31. It's kind of crazy. When I started out doing the fly fishing stuff, Uh, There was only one other guy guiding Seaburn Cutthroat on Puget Sound. From from what I know, and I could be, this could be way off, but I think I was the second guy guiding Puget Sound. A guy named Tom Wolf, I think, was number one. Um, And when I started, I mean, it was, you know, I was 
absolutely completely clueless about the sea run cutthroat stuff. I had fished sea run cutthroat with conventional gear since I was a little kid in Hood Canal, in the Sound, North Sound, South Sound, Central Sound. I fished conventional gear when I was young, off the beaches, off the little rowboats, uh, you know, just, but um, actually getting out there and exploring, it took a long, long time to figure it all out. The mooching stuff, um, which is what I all also do, and that was what I was born and raised doing. Um, I, I fished out of Shoshul Bay. I fished out of Ray's Boathouse. When I got my first boat, it was at Ray's Boathouse. When I was in high school, I got a boat and left it on the dock at Ray's Boathouse when it was actually a boathouse before it was actually a restaurant. It was a boathouse with a vibrant fishing community, Ballard, uh, when I started was electric in the summertime um, at four in the morning. There were three between, well, Ray's Boathouse was a bait house. Then there were two bait houses between Ray's and the locks. So, and there were a bunch of little boathouses, little private boathouses, little marinas. Um, and it was a very, very active fishing community um, in the summertime. And it was, it was super cool. It's a lot different now. I mean, there was just in the canal, I, and I'm just stop me if I just keep talking, but in the canal between Ray's Boathouse and the locks, you could catch dollies, you could catch steelhead, you could catch cutthroats. Um, there was sturgeon that went up there. It was, it, it was incredible. And, and uh, the sea lions, I was out there two days ago, and the sea lions literally on the dock next to Ray's Boathouse, there are hundreds of them. Yeah. And uh, back in the, I want to say in the, probably in the middle of the late 80s, there was one sea lion that showed up. They called Herschel. And um, that was a big deal. To, that one California sea lion was here. And now there's, there's thousands of them. Yeah. So um, that's a long way around of uh, telling you I'm still guiding. I'm doing it a little more selectively now than I used to. I'm, I'm, uh, trying to do a, a few less trips a year and uh, higher quality and try not to burn myself out. Yeah. But uh, I try to, I try now to, for every guide trip, I try to take one personal trip. That's, that's my, <laughs> I, I want to, at some point I want to take two personal trips for every one guide trip. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's my, that's my retirement plan. There you that's go. But I don't think I'll ever quit guiding. I really don't until I physically can't do it because I, st I still love doing it. Yeah, for That's sure. Awesome. So That's how old were you when you first started guiding 31 years ago? Oh, man. I, 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 <laughs> I got to get an abacus out to figure that out. <laughs> Let's see. Well, 31 years ago would have been uh, I started in let's see. Oh man, I would have been uh, 33 years old when I started. Wow. So I started relatively old, but it was an expensive, you know, I started on the, the salmon charter side and it was expensive to get into it with a boat and a, and a, buying a charter license and getting your captain's license. It was a, it's a big project, still is. Yeah. To, to do the, to have the salmon, there are very few of us that have the salmon charter license and the salt and the guide license both. I think I want to say there's only four or five of us in the whole state 
that have both that are actively doing, you know, freshwater. Well, I, I don't do any, I don't guide any freshwater. The guide license is for the cutthroat stuff. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Before you started guiding, did you have any experience doing like working as a deckhand or did you help out guiding? Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I was a deckhand on a charter boat in Puget Sound uh, for three years before I um, started my own business. And when I started the, and this is all, this isn't the fly side, this conventional side, I started doing the fly stuff two years later. Um, but the conventional side, Everybody thought I was nuts because back when I started, it was a majority of charter boats, like 12 to 50 passenger boats in Puget Sound. That's how much things have changed. Wow. So it was, there was one other, that, actually there were two other small boat charters in Puget Sound out of Edmonds and Everett, I believe, one out of each. And um, when I started, everybody was thought I was nuts because I was... Uh, I was charging $150 for a private boat for two people. I had a little 17 foot boat and people thought nobody's, nobody's going to, excuse me. It was 150 a person. I'm sorry. And nobody, nobody was, uh, nobody was going to ever pay that much money to go fishing. You know, it was crazy. And the first year I was so busy and I, I realized after a year and a half, my boat was too small. So I had to get a bigger boat after a year and a half. And it was, it was crazy busy. And then, and back then it was all, all the business was coming from word of mouth or from the hotels. The concierge at the hotels were, you know, are, are the lifeblood of the fishing guide in Puget Sound yeah. at the time because there was no internet, no, you know, you had brochures, you had business cards and you, you hope the concierge would call you up. That's cool. That's super cool. Oh, way yeah. different. <laughs> now you can talk to your clients through, via like social media or yeah on Facebook or any of those. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, I know. I'm getting completely schooled. <laughs> <laughs> I am yeah. very poor on my social media. Yeah. But, uh, it's 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 okay. There's you know there's everything changes. Yeah. You know, you, you talk, you said you're getting schooled on it, but you take some really nice photos and share some really cool stuff on your social media. I well, just, yeah. Oh, thank you. That's you're welcome. My friends, that's, <laughs> that's, I take good pictures. I just poach them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the guide life, right? You just be like, Hey, can you send me those later? Here's my number. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. My best fishing buddy's a professional photographer. So that, that helps. Oh, that's a big help. I was wondering, cause I was like, man, these are really nice. You know, you're sending us some very quality photos. Yeah. That's awesome. A, a lot of those were his, that's Ed Cezino. I don't know if you follow him at all, but his, his photos are amazing. Yeah. We're going to have to check them out. Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of his work. Sounds really familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, trying to find a photo with me and a cutthroat to send to you was almost <laughs> impossible. I said, Ed, can you find me? He goes, I don't know. Yeah. And I looked through all my stuff. It's like, I don't have it. I've got plenty of other people, but it's like, yeah, I think it's time that we take, I get one of me with a nice cut. It'd be good. Cool. Yeah, I know how that feels. I go through my phone and it's like, oh, there's a picture of a client with a trout. Here's a picture of a client with a salmon. Here's a picture of a client with a grayling. It's like, I have like one photo of me holding a grayling all year. It's like, exactly. that's, exactly. that's the guideline. You don't have, yeah, you don't have, you don't have time. You gotta, 
yeah it's like oh i've caught so many of these i don't need a picture it's like i can't find any pictures anyway (laughs) (laughs) well cool so you started guiding um you've you've learned a lot through um working you know on on other vessels growing up um how has it been with like the change of uh like lures and stuff how has that changed for you since you started guiding to now well i've never fished lures i've always equipment sorry i've always done the mooching stuff with the conventional stuff and then the fly the fly stuff has been um i don't know if you want me to talk about both or yeah but let me kind of rephrase it what how has the technology changed um through the years for your fishing to like send your fishing experience in a positive direction oh boy maybe positive and negative but um certainly gps helps a lot and um uh, you know the conventional fishing the the sonar technology is insane. I mean, it used to be a flasher. Dude, I don't even know if you guys know what a flasher was, but it was <laughs> it was a round dial. Yeah. And there was a fish or something between the top. It would it would there would be a little red slash where the where the bottom was. So it would be constant. And yeah. then if a fish showed up, there'd be a slash at sixty and a flash at one twenty. You know. <laughs> now it's you know the whole imaging. It's almost I can't wait to see what it's like in another ten years. But yeah. It's uh, the conventional stuff. The fly stuff is, you know, other than when it's foggy out, the technology's no different. You know, yeah. my eyeballs with the technology. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, um, except for maybe maybe polarized glasses have gotten better. Yeah. What about like <laughs> that, that's the best upgrade? Although the you know as well as of course the technology and the fly rods and yeah, that's what know. I was going to say. Like performance of rods have had to change over yeah. the years. Yeah. 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 How about in how you conduct your fishing? Have you had to change a lot with fewer runs of fish or trying to go to new areas because of way, ways things have changed within the landscape that you're fishing? Not really, to be honest with you. The, um, you know, the one thing that's changed on the cutthroat side is I actually see people occasionally. And yeah. even then, it's, I, it's not that often. I mean, I... I don't run into that many people. I've always guided out of a boat and, uh, you know, the, I, historically I would see a few people on the beach. Now, now I see some more people in boats, but the areas I fish are pretty lean. You know, there's not, not a ton of people doing it. I mean, in grant, in the grand scheme of things, there's not a ton of people doing it. There's 2,500 miles of shoreline on Puget Sound. It's yeah. It take a lot of people to cover it, but I'm working on it. I think I've got about 600 miles in. Wow. So I'm, uh, I'm, I, that reminds me of my buddy, Ed, who I, you know, when I first, we first became friends, uh, when I wasn't guiding, I would take him out and we, he would be my guinea pig. I would just go take him to places and we'd just go look at beaches. We'd make a few casts, go look at another beach. But I, I swear it was two and a half or three years. He finally said to me, Hey, he said, Keith, you know, we've been fishing together a long time. I've never caught a fish with you. (laughs) And now, I mean, if you asked him to this day, now it's like, it's, we almost never go out. And the thing about cutthroat fishing, you, uh, there are very, very few trips in the last 10 years. We haven't gone out and gotten at least one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. They're, 
you know, this time of year in the areas I fish are, are tough, very, very tough. It'll, it'll turn around, you know, end of February, beginning of March, it'll, it'll start turning around the areas I fish. I fish primarily Central Sound, you know, the South Sound Hood Canal, South Sound fish is way better this time of year than, than where I'm fishing. And, uh, you know, I think summer and fall fish way better in the areas that I fish. So it's, um, it's you know, it's a trade-off. Yeah. So what's it like guiding in that landscape? Like, are you seeing, are you around a lot of like city or like city areas? Like you see a lot of buildings when you're fishing and guiding clients, are you out around some corner where you can't see a civilization? Like, like what, what does your landscape look like that you're guiding in? You know, typically, I mean, my favorite spots have no homes, no building, you know, it's, if you could be over in your neighborhood fishing, not, maybe not quite, I'm not going to see any moose or any uh, bears on the bank, but um, there's a lot of areas that you feel like you could be in British Columbia or Alaska. And you know what, there's actually something cool about catching fish and seeing the Seattle skyline in the background. I mean, there, there's something kind of special, you know, for those in the wilderness think, oh man, this is awful, but it's kind of, it's unusual. There's not a lot of cities you can do that. Yeah. And there's certain times of year where you can be catching salmon and the city, the skyline is behind you. And uh, that's pretty fun. So, but, but um, yeah, I try, I try to go, you know, if I see people on a beach fishing from the beach or from a boat, I'll, I'll just go away. And I mean, that's, that's one thing that's changed. And, and recently I had my first experience of basically lack of etiquette. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it's This whole thing is so relatively young. The, the fly fishing in saltwater in Puget Sound is, is super in the, in the you know, infantile stages of its existence. And people just don't know, but you know, like a river, there's a up current and a down current. And I, I mean, I was fishing a stretch and, and like I said, there's 2,500 miles of shoreline. So if I'm on a stretch, there's no reason for you to come and fish that stretch. I mean, it's pretty, there's, every beach is pretty distinctive, but you know, I was fishing this stretch and uh, I went, I went back to, I was going to drift it again. And um, I looked down current and this guy had been sitting out watching us and he just, once I went up current, he just came down and uh, sat up right below us. And just for lack of a better description, you know, he corked our drift. He, he uh, yeah. and it was as I went up and explained it to him. You know, I really don't think he knew what he had done wrong. So mm. that's, um, you know, I, 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 I didn't lose my temper, which is because people just don't know. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that's the thing. There's, there's not, you a lot of etiquette out there for what to do, you know, people with new boats, people with, you know, just starting the saltwater fly fishing stuff. There's, there's a steep learning curve. And um, so that, that's one thing that has changed. But, but as I say, it's the very first time I've had guys sit behind me and follow me. And finally I have to say, Hey, you know, maybe it's time to go look for another beach. Yeah. It's like, why do you, why are you guys following me around? uh anyway but uh yeah just if, if i don't get anything else out of this podcast just let people know that i just want to let people know there's a lot of places to fish these fish are on all the beaches of Puget sound 
Yeah. Go find another beach. You know, and, and to kind of talk about etiquette, I think, you know, we've, I started it a little before like the pandemic and stuff. Right. And so when this stuff, when the pandemic hit, uh, people were looking for other opportunities to get out of their house. And, you know, they saw the outdoor industry uh, as a wide open freeway, you know, to just go and do stuff, get outdoors. And so like, I've, I've had people on rivers where it's like me and a 50 foot gap and then my other buddy and people walk up right in between. And I want to be like, you know, you want to say exchange words, but at the same time, you're like, Hey, this guy doesn't know. And, you know, maybe I should tell him, Hey, you know, there's a little bit of etiquette and the etiquette is kind of like, you don't talk about it. Right. The etiquette in fly fishing from what my perspective is like almost like fight club. Right. Everyone knows about fight club, but you don't talk about fight club. Right. 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 So I, I think like you're saying is there has to be like someone to come around the corner and be like, Hey, just so you know, this is what we do. This is, you know, try to give them the, the first like go about. And then on the second time they come around, if they do it again, then you're like, all right, you got to go somewhere else or you got to do something. Right. So, right. And I, I mean, it's for me, it's like, I will explain it. And, and I've been on the receiving, receiving side of it. I fished in the yeah. keys yeah, for quite a few years. And man, <laughs> I, I've been yelled at like you can't believe and for good reason. You know, I just clueless. And uh, then there's other guys when I've been in the wrong spot and other, you know, guys that with more patience say, hey, this this is why this what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. And uh, if you go here, you'll be you'll be in the right spot. But if, where you are right now, you're in the wrong spot and you need to go. And uh, and so I have been in the situation where I've tried to explain something. And when when somebody just gives you attitude and drops F bombs at you and you go tell you don't own the water and da, da, then then it's a whole different uh, conversation. Yeah. But I think it's important, especially as a guide to mm -hmm. um be very diplomatic and educational. Yeah. And if you get a bunch of attitude after that, then you can deal with it however you want. But uh, I, again, I think people just don't know. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And just like anything, you know, people, you just, if you've got experience and you've got knowledge, like I, I just don't see uh, a point in not sharing it. Right. Like you're out there, you want to enjoy the same resource it's like let's teach these people where to go how to do the proper etiquette and how to even like handling fish we could cover that a little bit later but like handling fish is a big one and it's like we want all these resources to continue to you know for future generations but um who's teaching this right so it's it's almost on us like the ones that have been doing it for a while it's absolutely on us yeah yeah no, it's it's uh, it's a good it's a good deed to share a little bit of etiquette, and hopefully, hopefully it'll it'll you know trickle down. Yeah, that's the karma, good karma. So, well, cool. Um, you talked about uh, your kind of salmon side, how you got into there. Can you tell us a little bit about like? How, tell us your story about how you got into sea run fishing and fly fishing and then how, where it's taking you, if you don't mind going that way. Okay. Where it's taking me, uh, geographically or, uh, like or all the above, like all, all, the, above. 
all the above. Like talk about like where what experiences so, have you got out of it? Okay, my my beginning, my introduction to saltwater fly fishing was was with a guy named Tim Borski in the Florida Keys. Mm-hmm. And if you look him up, he's a pretty well-known saltwater fly tire and he's a very well-known artist and an absolute complete hysterical fun creative guy to fish with and um my only introduction my only experience with fly fishing was freshwater like little lakes and and not a ton of it and um i went to (laughs) i went to florida to go to auctioneering school and we had a mutual friend that's a whole different that's a whole different podcast um (laughs) we, we we uh we had mutual friends and I said, Hey, um, I'd love to go fishing with you for a day. And he said, yeah, come on down. And my, my friends lived in Miami and he lived in the keys, which is like two hours apart. If you don't know the geography there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was in Orlando, which is like six hours away doing auctioneering school. So I came down and fish with fish with Tim I was going to fish with him a day. I ended up fishing with him for a week. And uh, never even saw my friends that introduced us in Miami. Yeah. I just flew home after that. It's like, and I was just <laughs> completely, completely hooked. And yeah. you know, then I just started doing some research on the on Puget Sound and what I could do to throw flies. And you know, there wasn't a lot of knowledge out there, um, but I got a lot of help. Man, the people. Les Johnson was working at a fly shop called the Swallows Nest, and he was kind of the you know, the Obi-Wan Kenobi of salt of sea run cutthroat fishing back then. He and Bruce Ferguson, they both helped me. Another guy named Cam Siegler, who gets very little credit for his all his knowledge of of uh, uh, you know sea run cutthroat in the sound. His his son Cam Jr. is still around. You might want to talk to him. He's I mean, those those guys are they'd be they're a really that would be a good podcast but yeah because uh, cam did all he's i mean his flies were all the are the flies for for offshore billfish uh but anyway he lived he lived on puget sound and he was uh just a wealth of knowledge for me when i started and everybody i mean back then they were super excited that there was somebody that was going to be guiding sea run cutthroat it was and um you know, I was just getting started and I had Lamson giving me reels and the Kennedy Fisher rods, which is you guys may or may not have ever heard of them. They gave me some rods. I mean, they were and I I just was getting started. It's not like it is now where you have to send your resume in and get all pre-qualified and stuff. I said, hey, I'm going to get started do, offering sea run cutthroat fishing. And they're like, hey, can we send you some reels? Can we send you some rods? everybody was like excited about the um, opportunity to open up, like introduce people to a new fishery. And um, it was, it, I mean, it's still super fun, but it, back then it was, you know, it was almost kind of like the blind leading the blind for the first few years. (laughs) I mean, I was, you know, pretty, pretty green, but uh, I learned really quick. And I, I, from a couple of different fly shop owners that I am not a fly casting instructor. (laughs) <laughs> i i learned that very very early on yeah and, uh i got i i got some grief for it early on because i was i would <laughs> i get referrals and then i'd send them back and say you gotta no, no i can't take them they, 
they, they're, they're just going to have the worst day ever. I didn't want to take people out and just take their money for, yeah. I mean, it's a different animal when you're fishing off a boat. It's, you know, you don't have the, the luxury of the current, the, the river taking the fly down the river and yeah. rowing away from it. It's, I mean, you, you know, I'm preaching yeah. to the choir, but you got to be able to cast. And I really, it's, it's a long day for everybody. If they get out there and they're, you know, introduction to fly fishing is getting on a boat in Puget Sound. And it's like, that's, that's going to be a, a frustrating day. Yeah. So uh, I, yeah, I learned that early on. I, I figured the one, the, the one that worked best for me was asking people, because everybody can cast really, really, really well until they get a fly rod in their boat or in their hand. <laughs> people can cast like typically two or three times farther than they actually can when yeah. you ask them. And then the, the deal killer is if, uh, how's your double haul? And then there's usually a long pause. <laughs> and I'm like, what's that? It's like, yeah, let me. <laughs> that's that, that's pretty. We've heard the same thing. Like when we talked to talk to Nick, he said the same thing. It's like, there's definitely not a time to learn how to cast a fly rod or how to fly fish is when you're on. No, the that's why God invented a baseball field. <laughs> yep. There you go. Baseball field's an awesome place. You know what? And let me give a shout out to, cause we're getting close to it. And I don't even know if it's happening this year, but Washington fly fishing club does a casting school. Typically it starts in April, uh-huh. 10 weeks, every Thursday afternoon on green Lake. And there's like 10 amazing casting instructors it's like 30 or 35 bucks. It's the best casting school there is. Um, it's awesome if you want one-on-one and go to the, one of your fly shops and get a, you know, a three, get three classes at least in. Yeah. But um, even, uh, even if you're, you have taken that class, you should always go get a refresher course. I actually just talked to a guy I know that, that does uh, casting instruction. I said, Hey, I need, I want to come, I want to come cast with you on the field. I want some, I want you to correct some of my bad habits. So um, it's, you know, it's like golf. You're always practicing, but um, get out there and you, you know, God knows with YouTube, you can teach yourself, but it's always good to have another set of eyes on what you're doing. For sure. Even experienced people. It's good. Like that, that's a just good all around for anyone that wants to correct or, you know, be, learn how to double haul. I mean, you may have the single haul down. You want to learn how to double haul or you want to learn how to put your fly in a certain area or, or whatever, you know, and, and I did, uh, I used to, when I was working at Orvis, I did like, I would do a couple casting, you know, uh, classes and an hour and a half is just not enough time to teach a person how no. to really get it down. I could get them to cast maybe like 10, 15 feet further, but it's like, man, you should be really coming back. That's a great opportunity. Thank you for actually sharing that. I'll have to add that to the notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. And I, I mean, I'm a, I'm not a pretty caster. My backhand cast is way better than my forehand cast Yeah. from having, you know, all these years of having, you know, putting people, you know, in the, in, in the forehand cast position and I get, I get stuck with the backhand when well, my backhand has gotten really good and my forehand sucks. Yeah. But, uh, and that's, yeah, that's another saltwater lesson. Don't cast through the boat. Don't cast through the boat. Don't cast through the boat. 
Okay. So you, you got can, You can edit out two or three of those. <laughs> it sounds like you That's speak from experience or a bad experience. Just make sure you're wearing, wearing your glasses. There. <laughs> I think that's the rule. If you're going out anywhere and you have a fly rod or you're near someone that's casting a fly rod, don't forget your sunglasses. Yeah, especially if you're in a boat with people casting on both sides of you. <laughs> Just waiting for the one right here. I almost, I, well, I almost say in one of the pictures, the only time I've gotten a fly or a hook in the face, yeah, I, I almost sent you that picture. And it's like, eh, maybe I won't. Maybe shit. <laughs> It can be for the it'll be for the after the podcast photos we'll share. My, my buddy, my buddy Ed got one right in his earlobe. It looked like a it looked like a, oh. a piercing. Yeah. And I took a picture and he told me to send it to him. I go, I'll send it to you, but I don't want anybody to see the fly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't post that. I don't want anybody to see the fly. Color out the fly and just keep the hook right there. Yeah. <laughs> just, just pixelize it like it's it's hidden information. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So you got you got into um, you're you're just starting your journey as a uh, sea run guide. How is it? Uh, how's your experience? And have you like found? Do you find like sea run hanging out in certain spots certain times of the year? Can you kind of elaborate on like the fish itself? No. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. How? Um, I mean, there there's a. Uh, certainly a migration and we're learning more and more about that all the time. Yeah. Uh, but um, they're, they're a finicky, they're a feisty little critter. I mean, you know, everybody's kind of got their go-to spots except for when you go to that spot and they're not there. Uh, <laughs> they're uh, you know, they're, it's super important if you're getting started and even if you're not to pay attention to what the wind, the tide and the sun are doing. Um, and everybody, you know, the adage about 10 fishermen in the room, you get 15 ways to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Well, we have every, you know, we have all have our theories, right? But um, I'm not a fan of slick calm. I don't like slick calm, calm at all. I'd rather have 15 than one. Uh, it's just, I think those fish are, these, these cutthroats are in, you know, six inches to 10 feet of water typically. Yeah. And uh, when I was out two days ago, I, I, we must've seen 20 bald eagles that were, you know, just, it was way calm. And uh, this time of year, the water clarity is, I mean, gin clear, like 25 feet of visibility. And, you know, they, they know what's up, up above the water. And uh, so I've never been a big fan of slick calm. Um, I'm not a big, much of a fan of dead, dead tide. I like a, a pretty strong tide. Um, I don't typically like the very beginning or the very end of it. Um, having said all that, you know, every, you can throw all that off the window because then there'll be that day that you have just, you know, <laughs> the calm day and the fish are just everywhere. But it's, I mean, it's all generalization, right? Yeah. Um, but for me, um, I'm really bad about it now, but for a long time I kept a logbook. And I mean, I think it's, it's, it's critical. Keep a logbook where you were, what the tide was doing, 
what the temperature was, what the, what the wind was. And I'm, again, I'm not, I don't even care about temperature and I don't care about sun either. Some of the best days I've ever had have been the hottest days and the brightest days. I, it's for me, almost no time on fresh water um, is, uh, uh, I think a lot of it's a lot of it is overthought. I think, I think a lot of the, the saltwater trout people, the cutthroat trout people, the sea run cutthroat trout people, uh, kind of assume they're the same as the freshwater trout. Yeah. And I, I don't think so at all. I think they're opportunists. I think even in the middle of a, uh, hatch, um, or, a you know, a, a bloom of, of chum fry or pink fry or whatever's around. If you put the fly, if you put a fly out there that looks good to eat, they're going to eat it. They're opportunists. And, um, I'm not a, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of differing opinions, but I have, when fishing has been good and granted it's, it's <laughs> when it's not good, that's a whole different story. But when fishing is good, when early on, I would just change flies. I would just keep changing flies, different colors, different patterns, different, you know, sink rates, different, different sink rates on my, my fly lines and just keep changing them to see what wouldn't get eaten. And when the fish are around, they're eating everything. I, I don't, I'm a, I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, unless maybe it's too big or too small, which I don't even think it is possible they have too small, but, um, but um, it's, I think they're opportunists. I think, I think all the saltwater critters are opportunists. Yeah. You know, eat or, eat or be eaten. So they still have to look behind their back. So yeah. it's, uh, so I don't know. So what else? A sink rate on, on, I almost think sink rate on your fly line is more important than the fly. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I like throwing a lot of top water stuff, a lot of, yeah. you know, waking flies and popping flies and, you know, sliders and, and it's a really good way to see fish. It's not a really great way to catch them, oh. but it's a great, especially when it's slow. I think it's a great way to go foraging and see what the heck's underneath you. Cause you'll get somebody to, to there'll be somebody inquiring, you know? And, uh, it, so I like to, I like to throw a lot of times, especially when I'm guiding, I love having somebody on top so I can at least live vicariously through what's happening on top of the water. Yeah. And I mean, the eat is so fun. It's so great. And the cut through, the cohos are, come up and crush top water too. So, um, and I mean, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir up in Alaska, but it's a little different down here in Puget Sound. Yeah. You know, and not a lot of people are doing it. So. Um, That's cool. That's why we, we wanted to bring you on and, you know, we wanted to bring like Nick on. We wanted because it's such a unique fishery. You know, we're not trying to blow out the spots, but we're trying to bring, we also want to bring uh, attention to it because, at the same time, it's like, yeah, you're getting more people involved, but that's more what you hope is more conservation and more care for these fish, right? These fish are, are uh, you know, really the only, uh, I think they're the only success in Washington fisheries. Yeah. I think they're the only fishery that's actually could be, could be improving, yeah. uh, at least stable. And uh, the more work the Coastal Cutthroat Coalition does, 
um, the more uh, the more we're learning. I mean, there's been almost no no studies at all on coastal cutthroat for I mean ever until the last eight years, I think. And coastal cutthroat coalition is doing some really neat stuff. Something that just happened that you guys probably don't even know about, and probably most of your listeners don't know about. Um, and this is purely because of the research Coastal Cutthroat Coalition did that basically, for the most part, as of July 1, I believe it is, you won't be able to kill a coastal cutthroat in the South Sound or Hood Canal. And most, most tributaries in the Hood Canal or South Sound. Right now, you can wow. kill two cutthroat, C1 cutthroat per day, eight inches or larger in most tributaries in the state of Washington. But you can't kill any in the saltwater. And in some of these, some of these streams, there might be less than 10 mating pairs. And you go in there and kill four of them. And you you and and these fish, I mean, you leave those fish alone, and this fishery is gonna blow up. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it's already a good fishery, but uh yeah, I mean, and the more we're learning, the it's it's just it's so exciting so exciting it's uh it's really really neat i'm i'm just so proud of the things that the coastal cutthroat coalition are doing greg shamick and james losey and um like 99.4 percent of the contributions go to research wow you know everybody's donating you know paper and printing and you know all the the website's not very good because it's a volunteer that does the website. Social media is not very good. I mean, I keep encouraging them to spend some money to get the word out there because they're not patting, patting themselves on the back for all this cool stuff they're doing. Yeah. And uh, the Argolid study, which are the little sea lice that are on the on the sea run cutthroats, the last study that was done on those, it's like a, a one-page paper. Don't that, Don't quote me on that, but <laughs> like, like, but it was a very small paper of basically mentioning the argolids that was in the late 1800s. Wow, that was the only study done wow. in it from the University of Washington, and so they've been studying these argolids. Nobody really knows, you know, what they're doing to the fish. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's a it's a really really cool organization that's doing some neat stuff. It's super grassroots. Um, there's a fundraiser that we do every year at Hula Hula and we show the, in Seattle, we show the IF4, the fly fishing film tour. And, uh, two years ago, the last time we had the event, we raised 73% of the annual research budget at that event, which wow. shows you how small the organization is. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a pretty cool event. It's like, you know, I, I, don't want to boast too much about it, but no, go ahead. Other Talk. than other, I mean, it's probably one of the two uh, places where the most fly fishers come out on a single night in Seattle all year. One of probably that or the F3T event, um, and it's yeah, we've already it, it was completely sold out when it was supposed to happen in January, and uh, which it usually happens the second Thursday in January. But we had to postpone it because that was the absolute peak of Omicron. Yeah. So uh, we had already sold it out. And um, so we moved it. Now it's going to be March 10th. And there's a few tickets available now because people had to return some tickets. 
Mm-hmm. People returned some tickets because they had conflict. So if anybody listens to this, go go to Brown Paper Tickets and just type in Cutthroat, and you'll you'll see if there's any tickets left. Sweet, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll put that down in our show notes and let people know so they can just click right on that link and get their tickets for they're gone. That would be very generous of them. Not to mention all the stuff we raffle off and auction off. And I mean, it's, it's ridiculous how much stuff there is. It's so cool. All, all the suppliers have stepped up and I think I've got like seven fly rods and seven reels and like 15 fly fishing bags and a bottle of 10 year old Pappy, a bottle of 12 year old Pappy. <laughs> oh yeah. I've got a 4,000 square foot ski in ski out house in Montana there's, it's, it's amazing. It's a really fun event and we raised some money, you know, and being a, uh, I do a lot of freshwater fishing, sea run cutthroat fishing's new to myself. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize, uh, the amount of sea run fishing that comes up into a lot of our Western, you know, or our West Western rivers here in Puget Sound, Seattle. I mean, there's, there's a few that I've, I've caught sea runs up in, you know, way, way up higher than I think I would ever expect to see sea runs and how resilient they are. So if you're listening, you know, this is not just, don't think it's just for Puget Sound. This is conservation for all these, like you're talking about this, the spawning pairs and the tributaries and, and the little creeks and the little rivers. Like it's also, you're doing work for freshwater too. So, you know, check them out. Coastal Cutthroat Coalition great great organization that that makes me put in a little plug for this is youngguidespodcast.com something like that was i close the youngguidespodcast.com youngguidespodcast.com yeah here's my uh recommendation for young guides and i was my mentor when i first started guiding in the sound he was a long time guide on the sound ended up moving up to Sitka and he basically left the year after I started and his word of advice was quit bitching about all the problems of the fisheries and get involved yeah and I basically have got no patience for people generally fishermen who do nothing but bitch about how screwed up the fisheries are and I I'm I'll be right there with you, but unless you participate, you really don't have any skin in the game. So I say get involved, especially if you're a guide, because it's your livelihood. You know, you've got, you've got even more passion for the fish, get involved and, and, you know, get to work and get volunteer, do get, go to meetings, go, you know, uh, express your opinion online, go and do something about it. And, um, you know, cutthroat guides that are out there guiding and making a lot of money on these fish and not giving back, it's, uh, it, I think it's completely irresponsible. Yeah. So um, I, I really think it's important for people to not just keep taking. Otherwise, it's going to go the way of the steelhead and the salmon and, you know, the, everything. <laughs> the cuckoo bird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can, you couldn't have said that better. Um, yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta get out. You gotta, uh, we're around, you know, I do a lot of work on urban rivers. That's like one of my main pushes. Um, and I think 
they're forgotten because now it's like, oh, this runs down in Seattle or this creek runs here or this goes here. And it's like it's there's no fish in it. There's still a lot of fish in it. It's just you got to take care of it to keep these fish coming back. Right. Like when when the last person that really cared for that place forgets about it, that's when it dies. So get out there, clean up, like you said, clean up donate money, talk to your representatives, get out there and just do your part. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better. So hundred percent behind you on that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, in, in, in the past, I've been a little frustrated with some of the shops, you know, that are benefiting quite a bit on the, on the coastal cutthroat. Well, that whole thing, I mean, they've all stepped up now. They're all stepping up. Um, most of the guides on the sound have been super generous, donating guide trips. But, um, you know, there, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And, yeah. you know, if you're making money off of these fish, you should be giving some back. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be money. It could be time. It can be trips. It can be, you know, get on social media and, and support something or another. Just... Just do some work. Get get give some back, man. Yeah. It'll pay dividends in the long run. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts, and I think Kyle can put in for it. But I I'm a firm believer in good karma. You know, you get out there, you do your part, you clean up, you you donate, you do something, and just do your you know do your very best. And if you want good fishing luck. I mean, I've had great days after I've done cleanups. So, um, you know, what do you, yeah. Well, yeah, I, it's frustrating. I mean, getting involved is frustrating, especially if you're you're involved with the WDFW, but you just got to stick with it. You know, they value, they believe it or not, they value your opinion, but, uh, you know, with no opinions, then they make all the decisions. So a little bit of input, you might. Yeah. Well, like I was listening to um, something the other day and they said they won't know what the people want until the people tell them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's definitely, there's definitely opportunities to, to make a difference. Yeah. So Obviously, we can tell that you're really passionate about the cutthroat and conservation for fish and, and everything. But what is so special to you that about the fish and about Puget Sound that's made you want to stick there and guide there for the past three decades? Oh, man, it's um, it's my final resting spot. <laughs> I, I got to protect this where I'm going to end up. So, uh Hopefully in a powder form, not in flesh form. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what? I just was born and raised with it. It's uh, it's 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 in my bloodstream. I just I love it. I love looking at it. I love being on it. I love fishing on it. I love being around it. I just can't even imagine not being around it anymore. I'm uh, I love it. It's it's fantastic. Even though. You know, things have changed pretty dramatically. You know, the, it's gotten, there's a lot of urban development around the whole Puget Sound, but nonetheless, it's still a spectacular body of water. And um, 
you know, I take people out all the time from places that are very flat. And my, one of my favorite things to do is to leave. I typically leave out of Shoal Shoal Marina uh, in Ballard area. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is to have somebody who flew in the night before they flew in after dark They're uh, we get on the boat and it's still dark. We go out as the sun's rising. They have not seen Mount Rainier yet. They're from Nebraska, let's say. No offense, Nebraska. It's flat places. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, they, you know, there'll be a couple people in the boat and somebody will just inadvertently look behind the boat and there will be Mount Rainier just starting to glow up and get just lit up. And they're like, I mean, they are absolutely completely blown away and it's like that that's what reminds me how special this place is because a lot of people don't get to experience it and when they do they're just in they're they're enamored they're the fishing doesn't even matter after that they've gone out there and they've seen beauty and they haven't even seen what's in the water yet they're seeing what's on still on land so it's it's uh that's that's one of the reasons i love puget sound yeah that's awesome so why do you feel that it's important to uh, that we do the conservation work now instead of later? Oh, oh boy, that's, I, I, <laughs> later's too late. Yeah, yeah. Later's too late. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's, it's so hard to get back. I was on the uh, Marine Sport Fish Advisory Board for 20 years. And uh, there used to be, some give and take uh, between the state and the tribes. Now, yeah. now there's not much, um, and it's it's very frustrating. But every time you lose something, it doesn't come back. It's pretty so. It's almost impossible to get something back that you've lost. And um, and on the salmon side, I'm talking about primarily, and I'm talking about days on the water. Um, you know, and then, you know, this is primarily a fly fishing podcast. The thing that frustrates me about salmon fishing in Washington and Alaska too, for that matter, is catch and release on salmon is not even in people's thought process. The state is not, they don't, they, they actually had, there was a catch and release season in Puget Sound in very small part of area 10 in June. And the co-managers uh, decided that they did not want um, a catch and release fishery in Puget Sound after it existed for, I believe, 12 years. And the very same year, they shut down the, the catch and release season. They opened up a wild Chinook harvest in Elliott Bay for the first time in about 12 years. And the fact that no one was appalled by that it, it's and, and it's it getting any of that back is going to be impossible get yeah. the getting catch and release fishery back and expanding it um it's that's something that needs to happen it's a management tool that the rest of the world uses uh puget sound is not i mean the the salmon season just happened for six days i think for, wow. There was, you know, scheduled to be like three months, mm -hmm. and but they only get out three days a week. I might be off on all this three days a week. Yeah. In two weeks, we have like 25% of the quota, and then they shut it down. Well, 
we did a we did a, um, a, a study on the catch and release season, and there was periods of the year where for one day of harvest, you could have had 30 days of catch and release with the same number of impacts. That was, there was that one. And then there was another one that was basically 15 days. Mm -hmm. So depending on what time of year it was, you could have 15 to 30 days of catch and release for one day of harvest and the state will not use it as a management tool. That's just me getting on my high horse, but uh, it frustrates me to no end because um, these fish are, I mean, the fly fishing community embraces catch and release and we're watching our seasons get completely decimated and the, the catch and release as a management tool is not being utilized by the state of Washington in the salmon for salmon. So they, they know only know harvest and shutdown. So there's no middle ground to extend seasons and let us use our boats. And I mean, even if I wasn't a guide, I want to go out and fish. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's a, um, a crazy thing in Western society is that it just seems like we have a lot of take, 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 and we're not really thinking of much else. Right. I mean, you could apply that to a lot in life. But, you know, we're talking about fishing and stuff right now. And, um, I, I, yeah, it's just a it's a weird thing that that's not more, especially in the time we're in, more of an opportunity for us to get out and fish. Because if you really like to fish, you know, you think you'd want to be getting out there fishing, even if you you had to release some fish or more fish. Right. 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 Yeah. It's in the it's in the salmon policy. The Washington State Salmon Policy Letter states as catch and release as one of the diverse interests that's supposed to be represented, and it's not. Yeah. So it's um, just another tool. If you, I mean, I, I I learned a lot of this from just from fishing in Florida. You go to Florida, which is you know it's crazy how many how much revenue the state of Florida brings in from fishing. I always thought it'd be good to get all the fishing commissioners from Washington, put them on a plane fly them to Bozeman, set them at the airport for an hour, count how many fly rods come off the plane, bring them back to Seattle, or then take them to Florida. Go, go to Florida, go to, go to Key West or something, and sit there at the airport, count how many, how many rods come off a plane, and figure out how much, how much revenue that is. And a lot of that is a catch and release. And there's huge money. I mean, Montana is almost entirely catch and release. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, so, I mean, the thing, the model that I like is the, the basically the Florida model, which is, you know, the regulation book is like a four, full, folded four-way, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with all the species on it with the open seasons for harvest. So open for catch and release year round. But if you want to harvest, you can go from, you know, June 1st to July 15th and from December 1st to December, uh, you know, January 15th or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more people fishing during the harvest season, but if you want to go out and fish and catch a release, go out and catch a release and there's a lot less pressure. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a great tool for management, but Washington state doesn't embrace it. Yeah. Um, let me ask this. How do you think, uh, you know, I'm not, even us, I'm part of TU and we're still trying to figure this out, but what do you think our best 
best um, resource for bringing people in that don't fish to care about, you know, our cutthroat and our, our trout and our salmon. What do you think the best, like in your opinion, what do you think would be the best to like bring these people aboard for conservation? People that don't fish. Yeah. Uh, let them know how much they're spending per salmon. Every, every, every Washington <laughs> citizen is paying to raise salmon. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think really happened out there. They'd be appalled at how many tens of millions of dollars are being raised, you know, being spent to raise salmon. And they're, they're not, especially the hatchery stuff. And, you know, that's a whole nother conversation about hatchery versus wild. But, you know, if you've got these hatchery fish out there and you can't access them, why are we raising them? You know, yeah. it, it, it's a, then they, you can have a whole, you know, to, topic whether hatchery or wild is even hatchery even viable, or if they're screwing up wild. But that's 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 about that's a six-hour conversation. Yeah, you could sit here all night and talk about that. I, I think there's, I think people that are that are sitting at home and um, being told that they just can't water their lawn this week because because there's some the the rivers are low and you can't water your lawn because you got to protect the salmon and uh, they're have they're spending, you know, every, every one of us is spending tax dollars on it. And um, the, the state is not doing the right thing to, to protect the fish. Yeah. I don't know if that didn't quite make sense, but oh, it, <laughs> um, it makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's probably the million dollar question. It's probably the hundred million dollar question, but. You know, uh, yeah, that would be that'd be a good one. But why not start with the people that do fish and get them involved? Yeah, I mean, you think about all the people that fish, and if they all got involved, it would make a hell of a difference. And then that's the driving force to get the people that don't fish involved too. Yeah, all these you know, people doing their part. People are made aware of, uh, you know, the changes that are going to happen to their lives if they're not already happening to their lives. How the the salmon are going to affect, you know, salmon are super important for so many different reasons. I mean, I, I just went to this lecture the other night and talking about bears and how important the salmon are for the forests. When the bears take the salmon to the forest to keep the, keep the, um, the forests alive and, you know, and the bears fertilize the forest and then the bears eat the, you know, eat the berries and, poop all over the forest and yeah it's all connected and with no salmon there's a lot of things that would go away yeah that's the hundred percent right there all right um we've kind of uh we've talked a little bit about uh the business side we talked about you now we wanted to talk about the fun side of Keith and let's uh, let's kick it off with uh, talking a little bit about your Florida fishing experience. <laughs> oh man. I've been fishing in Florida since 94. Um, Crazy. Uh, I've been going down there every year. Sometimes I was going down for a short period of time, twice a year. Now I go down in uh, I go down during the tarpon migration for two months and myself and a handful of friends, we have, we do what's called tarpon camp and just kind of share all our expenses and drink a lot of rum, smoke a lot of cigars and, <laughs> and catch a few tarpon. 
and mm -hmm. uh, super fun, especially after, you know, you're here, you leave here in springtime after, you know, being dark and gloomy and chilly and to go down there and, you know, the air temperature and water temperature in the eighties, it's, it's doesn't really matter if you're catching fish, but you know, after you, after you've hooked one, it's like, it screws, it'll screw up your life. I tell people, don't do it. Don't go do it. It'll, it's, it's, it's not a good, it's not good for your health. It'll, it'll be, it's like Oxycontin. Yeah. That's like, that's on one of my uh, goals in life is to get a tarpon on the fly rod. Getting a tarpon on a fly rod is not easy. No. Getting them to eat a fly is not that hard. Yeah. Getting them to actually getting one to the boat is you got to do a lot of things right and have some luck, but it's, it's, it's super hard. It's super hard. And that's what's so fun about it. And you, you're watching everything. All of it is right there in front of you. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's not all tarpon fishing, but the, the migration of the big tarpon in the keys in the spring is all side casting. Not to say you can't go dredge under a bridge or something and catch one, but for, you know, the, the reason you go do it is you can so you can watch the whole thing. Is, you know, you're, you're down fishing in Florida. Was the thing that brought you to Florida is the amount, uh, like the amount of species that you can bycatch when you're out fishing? Um, or like, what, what was like your main, you know, you went out with your friend, what was kind of your main fact? Yeah, my, my, main, well, I went down there to learn how to be an auctioneer, but, uh, yeah. I, I, uh, but I've always loved fishing and that's how I ended up picking Florida. There's a bunch of auctioneer schools around the country and it was in February and I eliminated all of the schools that were cold. And then I eliminated all of them that didn't have decent fishing. Yeah. And then I had this contact and, uh, you know, all I had to do is watch him cast and blow up some laid up tarpon. I didn't even seen a tarpon before he cast he, there was a, a day where it was slick calm and these tarpon were laying on the surface and his casting is, his casting is still, the, he's my, he's the most beautiful caster I've seen to this day. And he's always got, you know, mediocre gear and it's completely unorthodox, but it's spectacular. You know, it's like, oh my God, I got to learn how to do this. This is, this is crazy. And then, you know, I, I caught my first saltwater fish on fly there with him. I caught a redfish and, you know, it was, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it, it is, they call it the sport fishing capital of the world. And it, it is, there's, you know, 30 different species of fish you can fish for, and you can fish the ocean, you can fish the reef, you can fish the backcountry, you can fish the Everglades. I mean, it's, it's all right there. And it's, it's all really, really special. Um, but, you know, it's getting like most places, getting really crowded and it's, um, you know, it's, it's not getting any easier. It's appeared in too many films. What's that? I said it's appeared in too many fly fishing film yeah. tours and stuff. It's, it makes for good video, that's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. Not good for your fishing spot. <laughs> What's that? I said not good for your fishing spot, though. Well, they're, they're, there's, they're, people are pretty good about keeping the backgrounds at bay. Yeah. So what kind of parallels can you draw between your saltwater fishing in Florida and then what you're doing in the sound? Is are there some similarities in those two? Um, 
you're in a boat. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Yeah. Not, not off the top of my head. Very, very few. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's quite a bit different other than casting. And I, I mean, down there, if you don't have a backhand cast, you're, you're 80% out of the game. Wow. I mean, okay. 60% out of the game. How about that? But backhand cast is super important because you got a lot of wind and you know, how hard it is to cast on the winds over your casting shoulder. And if you've got a reasonable backhand cast, you, you've got a way better chance of catching fish. Yeah. I'm getting yelled at a lot. So that, that's the, the backhand cast there has helped me here. Yeah. Awesome. It's, way more, it's way more important there than it is here because you've got, it's always windy there. What's the, uh, do you, do you do a lot of like top water fishing down in Florida? Very little, very little, very little. Not, I don't, I don't do it. in. I mean, a little bit in the salt, like if there's a, you know, uh, when the worm hatch happens down there, I don't know if you've heard about the worm hatch for tarpon, but that I, it's about the only time I, I, I mean, during, when it's around that time, I'll fish from top water. Yeah. But um, for the most part, no, it's for the most part sinking. That's yeah. That's surprising. I thought there'd be like a lot more top water action, especially on. Well, the there's cool stuff you can do in like the canals and stuff. There's, yeah. you know, there's peacock bass and gar and largemouths down there in the, in some of the, you know, the canals that are, that's super cool stuff. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's just like a canal off the highway. You just walk down and there's full of critters. <laughs> you can throw some top water stuff doing that. I was with Tim one day and we hooked an alligator on top water. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all, that, all that came left, it was a top water plug. Yeah. And all that came back was the, the, um, the wire that goes through the plug. Uh-huh. There was no hook, no, no plug, just the wire. And an <laughs> eye that was tied onto the line. It just pulled everything right off. Wow. It was on for about 10 seconds, though. It was pretty yeah. cool. Oh man, that's gnarly. But yeah, alligator on top waters. I'm not sure what the IGFA record is on it. <laughs> I'm sure there is one. Yeah, what a cool experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool stuff down there. It's 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 there's not a lot of correlation between the two other than, you know, you gotta be a lot better caster down there than you do here. Yeah. Gotcha. You're shooting at target. You're for the for the most part. You're shooting at targets there, and here you're just covering water. Gotcha. Would you still, if you had to pick between Florida and Puget Sound, which one would you pick? Uh, yes, <laughs> <Both>. <laughs> all of the above. Um, some of my asses are going to the Keys, but like three quarters of them are going in the Sound. That's a perfect answer. That's what I was looking for right there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, like, I haven't decided 25 or 30% are going to go in the, in the keys. I've already made arrangements for it. By the way, you and all your listeners, um, when it happens, there's going to be a big party and a fishing tournament. So please come. I'll be there. It's going to be awesome. Um, if there's any money left, it's going to be a big party. All right. It's going to be in Puget Sound. First big outgoing tide in August. All right. When 
when you when we get to that point, you let us know, and I'll I'll help plan yeah, it. Out. You'll know. Everybody will know. It's going to be the talk of the talk. It'll be all over the internet. It's going to be the best party any of the fishing communities ever had. There or it'll be like sixty people splitting splitting a six pack of Rainier, depending on how long it when it happens. <laughs> There you go. Well, hopefully by that time we'll be the old guides podcast. Hopefully. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you guys can wheel me in. I was just talking to... in the background in a wheelchair, and you guys could say, "Yeah, this is the really old guy podcast." <laughs> yeah. You can you can get the uh, you can get the the tissue and just get all the the, the dribble <laughs> off my lip. I remember when. I'm already that guy. So. <laughs> uh, do you have uh, anything else to add that we haven't asked you about your guiding, your you as a person, uh, conservation work? Do you have anything that you want to add that you don't think we covered very well? Mm. Me as a person? I'm nobody without my fishing. Um uh, I'll let's see. I'll give you a, a good anecdote about my significant other. She, uh, when she moved in with me, um, I had just had my floors redone, and I said, "There's two rules when you when you when you move in." And she said, "Okay, what are they?" I said, "No shoes in the house, and don't ever question how much I fish." <laughs> so we've now been together over 20 years. She wore shoes in the house within the first week and she has still never given me any crap about how much I fish. So that's, that's she knew what, where the priorities were. And uh, she has been always been super respectful of my, my addiction and my passion. So yeah. it's been, uh, it's been, you know, that that's my personal side. Yeah. That's the personal side. But so you know, we haven't, we haven't talked at all about gear. Maybe we don't need to. Maybe it's pretty common knowledge. Maybe don't, people don't need to know anything about gear. You want to talk a little bit about yeah, some no, gear? Let's learn a little about gear. So, I mean, the gear stuff is, is it's pretty simple. I mean, the yeah. gear stuff on, on Puget Sound is pretty simple. I, when I go out, I bring four setups. I bring um, a floating line, an intermediate sinking line, and two full sinking lines of different speeds. So basically I've got a floating line, inch and a half a second, sink rate, three inches a second, and a six inch second sink rate. They're all on six weights, nine foot six weights. Um, with, you know, I, I fish all sage. I'm fishing the, uh, the Spectrum Maxes and the, I fish both the Xs and the Igniters. Okay. Um, and then the the, uh, the um, all all Rio lines. I'm a I'm a Bainbridge Island guy. Support everybody. They're super good to me. I I, I like to keep keep everything in house. Keep it all local. Yeah. And uh, I typically like. I mean, for the most part, on the floating line, I'll fish a nine foot leader. But I on all the sinking stuff, I fish short leaders, like seven foot leaders, six foot leaders, seven and a half foot leaders. Um, I don't think. Um, I don't think they're leader shy at all. Yeah. Um, I 
typically fish 10 or 12 pound tippet. Um, what else? Again, you know, flies, I typically am fishing something Clouser-esque. Mm -hmm. I like having a little, I like lead eyes. I just like the way the flies undulate. Um, fishing and then top water, again, gurglers, sliders, poppers, um, they all get some attention. You, sometimes I do hard, short, hard strips. So they pop really well. Sometimes I'll do two-handed under the arm kind of striped bass strips where it's just sending a constant V-wake out and just play around with it. And the strip on the, on the sinking lines, the strip on the sinking lines, again, is, um, you know, typically the shake the thermometer out, you know, just pretty short and fast is kind of my go-to, but I'll always throw some pauses in there. And again, it depends what fly line you're using, but um, a lot of times I'll hit you on the pause. Um, if you see a fish falling, you don't stop, just keep stripping. Um, what else? Uh, this are, you, is like the, are you using like, uh, if you're doing like, if you go out just specifically for like salmon coming in, are you still rocking that six weight? Yeah, I fish six weight for everything. I've Perfect. caught um, the, the biggest fish we got on the six weight was an 18 and a half pound king. And we also got a sturgeon on a six weight in Puget Sound. That's a, that's a whole other story that's pretty cool. Um, but, you know, I play around five weights, seven weights, and I'm just, I'm comfortable with the six weight. We're in a boat. We've got all day. We can go after them. We can, you know, and I'm fishing fairly heavy tippet. So, um, it's, there's, there's, uh, the six weight is plenty of rod for every, anything that Puget Sound has to offer. If you're on the beach, it's a little different animal. A lot of people like fishing a nine and a half foot rod. Also, I'm not fishing tips. I'm fishing full lines, full sinking lines, full floating lines, because I, I want it to stay down because I'm casting typically toward the shore. So mm -hmm. it's going to, the, the more I'm stripping, the deeper it's getting. So I don't like, I personally don't like using tips. If I was on the beach, yeah, tip makes sense. Yeah. But from the boat, I, I like using a full, a full line. Um, that's probably a good start. Yeah. That's a, that's a perfect description on where, if you're looking to get into it, where you should be. Yeah. yeah and there's, I mean, there's, you know, every, there, there's, rods of all different price ranges out there. I mean, again, I'm Bainbridge Island friendly and I'm a big fan of the Reddington rods as a, as a opening beginner rod. You know, if you get one that's designed for salt water, that's gonna be a little longer lasting. Um, however, you can do it just, you can fish just fine with freshwater, all freshwater stuff, just rinse everything really well afterwards. You know, you're. There's no reason you need, and you, you can certainly, if you're fishing cutthroats, a five weight is a fine rod for fishing sea run cutthroats. You get in a little problem when you get into some wind. Um, you know, I like a little faster action rod as well. It's just, just to be able to punch it a little better if it, you get, you have to deal with some wind. You know, it is, you, you're fairly exposed sometimes, so you have to be able to push it a little. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Do you want to just remind us a little bit more about the uh, event coming up and maybe how to get involved in the CCC? 
yeah, if you, there's, there's plenty of volunteer, volunteer opportunity for Coastal Cutthroat Coalition. Um, you can just go, you know, you can just Google Sea Run Cutthroat Trout and the Coastal Cutthroat Coalition website will come up. They've got a Facebook page as well. Um, you can, there's, there's volunteer opportunities. Um, they do beach sanding and do fish counting and, you know, they've been doing tagging and, you know, scale samples. And I don't, you know, I don't know where in, you know, on, sometimes they're counting reds on rivers in creeks and streams. There's, there's opportunity, you know, it, it's very cyclical, um, but just reach out. And if you want to get involved, there's something you can do. You can go to um, the, uh, on March 10th, we're doing the annual fundraiser at Hula Hula in Seattle. And um, tickets are available on brownpaperticket.com. Um, there'll be a link on this podcast on the on the on your Instagram page, I believe. Yeah. Um, but but if you go to Brown Paper Ticket and just search Cutthroat, it's the only one that comes up. Perfect. And there there may still be a few tickets available. Um, but we've got you know amazing raffle prizes, amazing. Um, um, auction items and trips, rods, reels, bags, booze, dinners, more fishing trips. Um, but it, it's a, it's very impressive. It's pretty hard. It basically, if you go in and you spend $50 on raffle tickets, you will get your choice of a multitude of fly fishing hats, fly fishing, you know, company hats. So you buy it, you buy $50 worth, and you're going to walk away with a $25 hat. If you spend $150, you're going to get uh, a fly line. Um, and plus, this is all, all your raffle tickets. So um, it's, it's pretty fun. And there's, you know, a lot of people that work in the industry are going to be there. A lot of guys, a lot of people for, you know, reps and um, manufacturers, people that work for the manufacturers will be there. And it's, it's a really fun community event and it will sell out. This is the fifth year we've done it. And I'm, I've been doing an event like this since 2013. And um, this is the fifth year we've been, the Coastal Cutthroat Coalition has been the beneficiary. That's awesome. Well, I wish I could be there and be down there and go to it. If I was in Washington, I definitely would. Start walking. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. I think I might be, you might be seeing me down there. We're coming into our favorite portion of our podcast and it's our rapid fire um, questions. Kyle, do you want to kick us off with these, the first rapid fire question? Keith, are you ready to have your mind blown? I'm, I'm very ready. Are you ready? That's what I want to know. My answers are going to blow your mind. Here we go. All right. What's your favorite fish to catch? Carp. No, just kidding. <laughs> My favorite fish to catch is the one I'm fishing for, of course. I'm probably not an original answer. Yeah. Tarpon, sea run cutthroat trout, and Chinook salmon. How about that? I like it. I like it. You you sound like you've been to a lot of uh, places, but if you had to pick on where's a dream destination to go fly fishing? Um, the place I've already been that I want to go back is Cuba. The, the place... The fish that I want to catch is a rooster fish that I've never caught. And that's number one on my list. I want to catch a rooster. Awesome. 
but I, but that's two different trips. Yeah. That's still perfect. That's great. Uh, when you're out fishing, whether you're on your boat or you're at just, you're out doing something, you're in the keys. What's your favorite thing to eat? What's your snack or your meal you're bringing on the boat? And what's your favorite thing to drink? Um, when I'm in the Keys, I like to eat a media noche sandwich, a Cuban sandwich. Oh, yeah. And uh, have some rum and a cigar while I'm waiting for Tarpon to show up. Awesome. Uh, in Puget Sound, when I'm not guiding, I don't drink and guide um, ever. Um, on Puget Sound, you know what? Uh, I think fried chicken is about perfect fishing food because yeah. you can be nice and decadent and just throw the bones overboard. Yeah. And uh, it's a little messy, but fried chicken's pretty good. Tastes good. And whiskey and cigars. Yep. yep. Whiskey in Washington, rum in Florida. There you go. All right. You, you just, you're headed out to the water. You just hopped in your, your, your truck. What jams are you throwing on to listen to before you go fish or guide? Oh, man. Um, that's a good one. Um, um, my, my music taste is pretty eclectic. It's, um, it's either going to be black eyed peas. It's going to be tonight's going to be a good night. Okay. All or, right. Uh, Iggy pop, uh, <laughs> wild child. I don't know. All right, I like it. I like it. Get you, get you in the, get you ready. Get out on the water. Heck yeah, that's awesome. Either that or, uh, you know, maybe Snoop. <laughs> all right, I like it. It's all. It's pretty much all over the place. But in Florida, it's pretty much um, Collie Buds Radio. Okay. What what kind of music is he playing? That's, that's reggae. Reggae. All right. I like it. Heck yeah. All right. You're headed out the door. You're going fishing. You're, you're going guiding. What's the first thing you grab that you cannot leave the house without? First thing I grab that I don't leave the house without. A net? <laughs> yes. That's yeah. a key. That's a key to your success right there. I like to have a net. Yeah. Heck yeah. Especially fishing out of a boat. Yeah, and that's that's a really good thing to have. I was just thinking about that, how often I see it, whether it be on YouTube or a lot of it's in person. You see somebody catching like a big fish out of a boat or any fish out of a boat, and they've got one of those little like tiny nets that are like this long. Yeah. And you've got the little tiny basket on it, and you're they're just trying to stuff like a 20-inch fish into it. 12 inch basket that's yeah. yeah we used to we used to have a thing where the guy so are you familiar with right mcgill rods mm -hmm. they're yellow like the saltwater ones are yellow it used to be i don't they're probably all over the place now but we used to be when we'd be salmon fishing with you know conventional gear it would always be the guy with the yellow rod that would catch the biggest fish with the smallest net yep <laughs> it was like you, it was guaranteed to happen that's a little awesome. pointer if you want to catch fish get a yellow rod and a really really small net 
Okay, here, here's another one for you. What is something that you wish you knew when you first started fly fishing? I told you these weren't going to be easy. As an angler or as a guide? Uh, let's do it as an angler. What, what's the, like you just started fly fishing with, or you're trying to tell someone that's just starting to fly fish, what's something you wish you knew um, like as you were getting into it? I mean, I've been beating a dead horse, but backhand cast for sure. Yeah. If you're fishing saltwater, the backhand cast. Yeah. Absolutely. It's super, super important. What about as a guide? What's something you wish you knew when you started guiding? Where the hell the fish were? <laughs> <laughs> we're all trying to figure that out. Always, every time. No, it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's it. That's, no, uh, um, when I started guiding, God, I don't know. It's always been, it's been a fun job, man. There's, there's some days it's, it's just fun. It's fun. It's a fun job. I like doing it still. In all these years, I've only had two trips that I wish I had never taken. That's pretty good. Yeah. And it's a lot of years under your belt. Yeah. Yeah. No, people are, people are pretty cool. They get to go fishing with. Yeah. Well, Keaton, you want to bring us into the last one? Yeah, let's do it. Um, what? Uh, let's end this podcast with your favorite guide story or moment. Oh, man. Really? Yeah. Um, do you want to have a, a good story or a bad one? We'll let you pick. You, you tell us what you think is like your best moment or your worst moment. Any, any, you're just your favorite outdoor guiding moment um my probably well the the best story i'm not going to tell because it's not a good one but uh i can tell you an embarrassing one um i and this one those that know me know this story well i took out the mariners skipper coach of the mariners Mm -hmm. and was uh employed by sage to take him out there was a person from sage on the boat and it was thick pea soup fog and um, I ran the boat aground going like 25 miles an hour. And um, in the dead fog and proceeded to, um, he asked me if he was going to get to the game on time because there was a game that evening. And uh, as the fog was lifting and Boats were driving by, taking pictures. In the old days, I used to have the name of my guide company on the side of the boat. Pretty much that day, got that name off the side of my boat because uh, people were taking pictures. Fortunately, it was it was pre that was pre uh, you know it was kind of the beginning of the internet and social media and stuff. But um, yeah, that was that was super embarrassing. But so um, we walked up the beach. And he ended up catching that largest Chinook salmon I've ever, I, I, that I know of on conventional fly rod, not, not trolling a fly, casting a fly off the beach after I, while my boat was aground. On the last day, you could harvest a hatchery Chinook salmon and <laughs> they ate it in the Mariners Clubhouse that night. Wow, man, that is so cool. Yeah, and it didn't do any damage to my boat, but uh, super embarrassing. And I knew I was going to run aground like four and a half seconds before I did. I said, oh, 
shit, we're going to hit. <laughs> oh, no. I wasn't. For those that have GPSs, I had it zoomed way out. Yeah. See, so because we're, you know, you have to be able to see the traffic areas. You know, there's there's ferry traffic, there's freighter traffic, there's, you know, whale, whale watching boat traffic. There's all kinds of traffic out there in the fog. So I, I had, instead of being zoomed way in, which is the way I normally run in the fog, you have to zoom out. And I didn't, I didn't realize where I was until it was almost too late. That's my excuse, but it's no excuse. I, it was a bad day. It went yeah. from a bad day to a really cool day. And then that photo got reproduced in the Seattle Times like 15 times over the next 10 years. Wow. That was, that was pretty cool. That's cool. But, but very, very embarrassing. Yeah. It, it's like, it's a good, it's a good memory and a bad memory all at once. Mixed emotions on that, right? The, yeah. The other one that I think is pretty funny. I like telling the embarrassing ones better. Um, the only, <laughs> the, the only time, the only time I've had a woman that employed me by herself that took, took the whole boat by herself to this day was the first year I was guiding and I was mooching. Mm -hmm. So I had a piece of herring and, uh, so when the herring's done, you just kind of grab the hook and just snap your hand and the herring will rip out of the hooks. And I hit her in the, the top of the head with the herring. <laughs> and then she uh, proceeded to tell me about all the good guides she'd had all over the world. And that's, I like, I like to remember that story to humble me because I was, I was so cocky when I started. I was just like, thought it was so cool in this fishing guide. And then I hit this woman in the head with a bait and she had <laughs> no respect no respect for me so it's like it's just it's, it's, yeah that's awesome. i don't take yourself too seriously oh, that's yeah. a great that's a great story those are both really good stories that's yeah. a great way to end oh i could keep going man there's 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 a pile of them i got the one i really want to tell i'm not telling but we'll we'll off off the off the broadcast i'll tell it all right we'll have to we'll have you on, we'll get you on again you'll have to tell some good stories yeah well keith thanks for uh hopping on our podcast today taking the time talk a little bit about uh all the fishing you do on the sound what you you know what you're about the this coastal cutthroat coalition and uh everyone make sure to check out that event coming up uh hula hula right um can you remind me of the date one more time march 10th march on march 10th so make sure to go get your tickets um you can find that in the show notes and on our instagram um but we just really want to thank you again for coming on spending the the time talking about you know talking about fishing with us this is we get it just as as just as much enjoyment out of it as you do so um it's just kind of a little break in the week to talk about what we love um so and then i just want to also thank all our partners uh for supporting us on our podcast sharing us um you can also check us out on uh, apple Podcasts, spotify Go on there on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, tell us how we're doing. If we're not doing good, also leave us bad reviews. That makes us become better at what we do. Um, so, Kyle, you got anything else you want to add? Uh, nope, I don't think so. We appreciate you coming on, Keith, and yeah. um, we want to get the word out and hopefully get some more people at the event, more people interested in conservation. And uh, I, I think people are going to enjoy this one here and your, your stories and and uh, the places that you fish. So thanks for coming on, Keith. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. Good luck fishing. <laughs> Heck yeah. So this was another episode of the Young Guides podcast. Uh, thanks for listening.
And once again, I'm Keaton. And I'm Kyle. And we'll catch you on the next one.